The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Last time, we began looking at situations where people in the Scripture had nothing left within themselves. They faced desperate circumstances with apparently no hope for deliverance, and yet God delivered them every time. You see, when we come to the end of ourselves, we've arrived at the point where God delivers best. He delivers in ways we never expect. Join us today as we conclude this sermon by Elder John Morgan Owens about Nothing Left.
Now, let's go over to 1 Samuel 30. This is one we probably haven't looked at a lot. 1 Samuel chapter 30, I'm going to read a little bit of this and, and kind of give us uh, context. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. Now imagine this. Imagine you are one of uh, the soldiers in David's army. And he's leading you around, and, and, and you're fighting. And you've left your, your wife, you've left your family, your children, in Ziklag, the city. Because they're going to be safe there while you're out fighting. And then you come up, you turn around, you're going somewhere else, you're following David, and then you see the smoke of Ziklag. You feel that sinking feeling? Because I do. <laughs> Thinking about my family, my wife, my child, <laughs> my world being in flames like that, right? And so... In verse 4, it says this, Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. Now, these are grown men. These are hardened soldiers. They wept until they had no more power to weep. I'm sure you've been there before. I'm sure you've been so exasperated, so hurt, so broken, so having nothing left that you just wept until you felt like you didn't have any more tears to weep. Now imagine being David for a second, all right? Imagine being the person who all of these men are following. And you feel the responsibility of all of their families. And also this, and David's two wives were taken captives, Anoam uh, the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved Every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. <laughs> um, you know, for David, it was even worse because he lost his family also, but also then all of these people, all of these men that need to respect him want to stone him. But what did he do? In the midst of having nothing left, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God, <laughs> right? You know, what a lot of people would do in the midst of having nothing left like that is they would just sit down and waller in their pity, yeah. right, and just give up. Yeah. What did he do? The same thing that you need to do Amen. is encourage yourself in the Lord your God. Because what did David do then? <laughs> After he had encouraged himself in the Lord God, he took every soldier that had any strength left, there was, I think there was like 200 or something like that that just couldn't go any further. They were faint because of all of their journeys and their fightings. They were, they were faint, so they only had about 400 men left. And those 400 men, they chased after those folks, right? Those Amalekites. And they chased them down, and they won. <laughs> they just wiped the floor with them. And they recovered their families. That's what happens when you don't give up. 
when you encourage yourself in the Lord your God and you realize that when you've got nothing left, God is able to provide for you. And so they didn't give up. And they chased them down. And they, had, they probably had nothing left uh, nutritionally to go on. 200 of them had already passed out and they, they just left them. And they just they kept chasing those 400 men. And they chased the Amalekites down and they wiped the floor with them. All right, let's go to the New Testament as, as we're kind of wrapping this up. Let's go to um, Jesus. Let's see him as he interacts with people who've had nothing left. In John chapter 2, we see that Jesus here visits this wedding ceremony. And he comes there, and I would love to have seen Jesus at this event. You know, we see Jesus so often at the funerals, at at. The, at the sides of people who were sick and who were afflicted, I would love to see him in a time of rejoicing and what he was like. I suspect that since he is, after all, the God of joy, <laughs> that he would have been very fun to be with. It says that uh, they came to him, um, his mother came to him and said unto him, they have no wine. <laughs> so even in the midst of a joyful time, the wine's run out, okay? They have no wine left. Now that may seem to you like that's not as big of a deal as having no water left for Hagar or, or no family left or no ability to bear children left. But think about this. Wine throughout Scripture um, is used as an example of purity. You know, we use, that, we use wine in our communion service because, well, for one, Jesus used it. <laughs> but also because it is an example of purity. That through the, the fermentation process, it, it, it destroys all the impurities. All of the rot, all the things that would normally happen, it eats it away, and it's pure. But also in Scripture, you, you can read this in the book of Psalms a couple of places, wine is also a symbol of joy in Scripture. Okay, And so imagine this. In this place of festivity and joy, the joy has run out. Has that ever happened in your life? It's happened to me a lot. The roller coaster ride of life. You're in, you're in the mountaintops and you've got the joy. You feel it. Maybe it's a great time in your life. And then that joy runs out. And you feel it just, you've just run out of tarmac. And all of a sudden, the, the harsh realities of life begin to hit you again. What do you do when the joy runs out? Well, as Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. I believe in part what he is saying is that his, his joy is not yet run out, right? It's not yet time for that, that experience of the cross. But what did Jesus do? He took common things of water, which at that, at, at that time in history, water would have been risky to drink, it would have been uh, filled with parasites and all kind of bacteria that would probably, you know, uh, make us sick if we were to drink it today. Probably made them sick when they were drinking it then. And he takes something that is common and that is, in fact, unclean and, and infested with parasites, and he makes it into the best wine that that person had ever tasted, that master of the feast. He, he, had, he had never tasted wine that good. <laughs> you know, 
The Lord comes along when the joy in your life has run out and He takes the common things in your life and He makes them the sweetest and the most joyful things you've ever seen. Let's go to uh, John chapter 5. Let's look at the man that had no man. In verse 1 of John 5, there was that, uh, that pool at Bethesda. It says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. All right, so you've got this pool, the pool they call Bethesda. Um, I, if you're asking me what's going on there at the pool, I don't know. Okay, um, but we, we see in Scripture that, that when the water would bubble, the first person who would get down in that water would be healed. And so because of that, it has attracted a lot of people around. These little porches are full of people that are, that are halt, that are blind, that are withered, impotent. These are people that are afflicted, okay? Now, you would think that this would be, uh, I guess at first blush, you'd think, well, this is a, a happy place. This is where people are getting healed. I actually disagree, okay? I believe that this was a very miserable place, okay? Imagine, imagine you're this guy who had an infirmity for 38 years. Now, I'm only 30 years old, okay? I can't imagine having an infirmity for eight more years than I've even been alive. And he's sitting there at this pool, and he sees the stirring of the water, and what happens? He, he begins to get that hope rise within him. This may be my chance, and he starts to crawl himself over to that water, and right before he gets in, somebody plops in. Now he's got the crash again of, of hopelessness. I believe it was worse because I believe those people were sitting there every single time that they weren't the ones that got in. They had to experience loss all over again. And so what does Jesus do? He walks up to this man and he saw him lying there. He says, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered, I, I love this. You see, you could do a study on this of all the questions that Jesus asked in Scripture. You know, he knows the answer to the questions. <laughs> you know, as, as Brother Chris has, has told me before in, in practicing law, you don't ask a question on the witness stand to a witness that you don't know the answer to, right? Jesus is doing the same thing, right? And, and, and he, as he comes along and as he questions people, he knows the answer. But what he's doing is he is working us through the problem as he's questioning them. Think about that rich young ruler that comes to him and says, you know, good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, why do you call me good? He asks a question in response. And what is that doing? That is making that man think through, what is Jesus asking me? See, Jesus was asking him, not, that, not to lead him to think that he's got to do some good thing to, to inherit eternal life, but to say, the reason that you even call me good is because you've already got something within you 
that, that recognizes me as good, right? See, the questions of Jesus are very important. He says to this man, wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. But when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. That's no problem for Jesus. <laughs> this guy has nothing left. He has no man. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. <laughs> right. Jesus intercepts him in his area of having nothing left. And he says, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Now, you know, you don't need, <laughs> you don't need anybody to help you. This is the, 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 what I take away from this. So many people believe that, that it is up to us as God's uh, people, as his disciples, to go and make other disciples in order to save them from hell, in order to, uh, as I, I said in that example before, those friends of the paralyzed man, they, they view that to be you taking somebody to Jesus to be saved. And that's not what's happening. He was being healed. But, but remember the times when Jesus came and resurrected somebody from the dead, he came to them, right? So you don't need uh, anybody to help you. Jesus is all you need. Or, you know, as this modern woke feminist culture would say you don't need no man right you don't need no man jesus is all you need let's go over uh to luke chapter 8 and we'll settle in around um verse 41 it says and behold there came a man named jairus and he was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at jesus's feet and besought him that he would come into his house for he had, only, he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman, having an issue of blood, 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. You've got two people here, all right? You've got a father who his only daughter is dying. She's 12 years old, and she's dying. I mean, can you fathom having anything less than your child being on their deathbed? And so what do you do in your nothingness? You come to the person who you know through faith can deliver you. He comes to Jesus. Now, We've got another example. We've got this other, we've got this grown woman who'd had an issue of blood 12 years. So you've got a 12-year-old girl, and then you've got this woman that had an issue of blood 12 years. Now, as I said, these words are not just cavalier. The Lord preserves these words for us. And I believe he is drawing us a, a um, relationship, a correlation, okay? So you've got a, a, a person who is dying, and in fact, would be dead by the time Jesus got there. They would intercept Jairus. I don't know if it's in this gospel or if it's in another, but they come to him and they say, your, your, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the master anymore. And so you've got a girl who is dead, and then on the other hand, you've got this other one, this woman who was unclean, okay? Two problems that we've got, okay? 
you know, it's not just that, that we're dead. <laughs> it's we're also, we are unclean before God. Okay? And so, I can't imagine this woman having this issue. Because it, it, it not only is it a, a threat to her health, not only is it a potential threat to her life, but it makes her unclean to everybody um, legally, okay? And so when, when you would be seen, if you're, you're this woman, if you would be seen approaching somebody and they see uh, your bloody garments, right, they would avoid you. Because if they touched you, they would have to go through a ceremonial cleansing, all right? If they just brushed you in, in a crowd, then they would have to go through a cleansing. And so can you imagine being ostracized like that for 12 years? And she spent everything that she had. She had nothing left. The father's got nothing left. This woman's got nothing left. And she said... If I can just touch the hem of his garment, of Jesus' garment, I know I'll be made whole. All the money I've spent on all these doctors, they couldn't help me, but I know if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And what did she do? She did that, and she was made whole. And then Jesus goes and, and, and further resurrects this, this little girl from the dead. That's us. Okay, both of these people are us. And that you've got nothing left. You have nothing to offer God. You are dead. But yet Jesus comes along in the midst of your nothingness and says, live. It's a miracle. It's not, it's not you coming to Jesus and approaching unto him and saying, Lord, save me from my sins. I accept the gift that you've given me on the cross. It's not that. Okay? Now, you can do that, and that's a great thing to do, but it doesn't save you from, from hell. <laughs> Jesus comes along and saves you from your sins and saves you from that deadness. He also, as you were unclean because of the filth of your sins, because of the sins of Adam, because of your own sins, he comes along and he makes you clean, right? He sheds his very own blood and covers you in it, <laughs> cleansing you ceremonially. And now, and now when you approach unto his throne, you don't have to back away because you're unclean. You get to come on in to the throne of grace that his blood has already sprinkled for you. I'll go, to, I'll go to one last place, Ezekiel chapter 16. And this sort of goes with that last image. And we've used this before. It says, again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, call, uh, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was Amorite, and thy mother a Hittite. And as for thy nativity, in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither was thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all, None I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee, any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. This is a sad image of a baby who has nothing left. Even his own natural parents have abandoned him. You know, we see that in in uh, um, with Ruth, 
that example that we used earlier, that, that Boaz would come and be her near kinsman to redeem her, to redeem the land. And, and there was yet a nearer kinsman, somebody who had a claim to him, to her. But that near kinsman did not want to have his inheritance marred. You know, we've got somebody who had a claim on us. The law had a claim on us, okay? It had a close claim on us because we, we indebted ourselves to it. Like this child, its own parents had a claim to it, but even the law, even, even these child's parents rejected it. What happens? What happens when your nearer kinsman rejects you? You've got another kinsman in Jesus Christ who doesn't mind being marred, who doesn't mind his inheritance being marred by you and bearing the scars of your sins upon his, his wrist. Because... When he came by this child and he passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, you had nothing left, nothing to be desired. I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Amen. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. That is God. In the midst of your nothingness, um, even before the foundation of the world, as he saw you as this child abandoned, polluted in your blood, unclean, that he would love you even in the midst of your nothingness and come along and save you. <laughs> now, um, as I said, we have all had times where we have felt as if we had nothing left. Um, the, the other morning, I was getting out um, before, before the uh, daylight and I looked up, and I was just, again, struck and amazed by the stars in the sky. And it was, again, reminded to me how small I was, right, in, in the midst of this grand, vast creation of God, how little we are. And yet he's mindful of us. Isn't that amazing? That he would care so much about you as an individual when he's made all these stars. Now... It, it, it was there that I realized again that, that, the, that it's an illusion that you feel like you've got anything to begin with, okay? You, you feel as if sometimes you have nothing left. Here's the truth of it, okay? You have nothing anyway, okay? You never had anything, okay? Because when you come and you look up at the stars and you come before God and see His majesty and His power, you realize, I thought I had something, <laughs> I had nothing to offer him even on my best day, right? I want to encourage you. Um, maybe if, you're, if you are, are kind of um, lofty and, and you feel like you've got everything together, you've really got nothing, okay? <laughs> if you feel like you've got nothing, you've still got everything, okay? Because your God sees you where you are. He loves you. He cares about you. And he would, in fact, die for you shed his blood for you to redeem you, to resurrect you, to make you clean. And so even in your darkest day, you've got everything, right? Hope that's an encouragement to you. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. 
If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.